So Holy Spirit, pray that you would please use these next few minutes to help each one of us get something out of that passage of Scripture that connects us to you and uh, helps us live our life more abundantly. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you watching online. Great to have you with us, those of you in the room as well. Uh, Back in March, I took my 10-year-old son to spring training for a father-son trip, since we both like baseball, seemed like a good idea. And a year ago, my wife and I had bought a spring training tour at the Jubilee Reach Center auction, but hadn't really read the fine print, what it was all about, because we just, you know, it was a good cause, so we figured, let's buy it. And it turned out to be a private tour with Howard Lincoln, the CEO of the Mariners. And by private, I mean just me, my son, and Howard Lincoln. It was so cool. He showed us the clubhouse. He took us out onto the field during batting practice. All the players were just walking by. Felix, Ichiro, Ackley. At one point, I said to my son, hey, look, that's Mike Karp. So, you know, Howard called him over. I called him Howard because by then we were pretty close, right? So (laughs) Howard calls him over and introduced us to Mike. And so now Mike and I can, you know, first name basis and all that. Later, we sat with Howard right next to him, watched the game, and I had nine innings to ask him any question I wanted to about the Mariners. You know, like, why'd you make that trade? And (laughs) are we going to win this year? No, really, are we going to win this year, right? It was amazing, but my son was not nearly as impressed as I thought he should be. I mean, he liked meeting the players, stuff like that, but I couldn't get through to him how rare an opportunity this was. In fact, at one point, Howard took our picture. Now, does that look like a boy who's impressed? Like, it looks like he's going to the dentist. What's up with that, right? That is Howard Lincoln's shadow right there. On the plane ride home, I asked him, what was your favorite part of the trip? He said, the water slide at the hotel. What? He missed the glory that was Howard Lincoln's tour. I think we do something similar in our spiritual lives. We sometimes miss the amazing things that God is doing in our life. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself wondering, where's God? Why isn't he helping? Why isn't he doing more? God just seems AWOL. But I believe often God is doing amazing things, but we miss it or we don't see the significance of it for all kinds of reasons. So I have titled this sermon, How to Miss a Miracle, because we are just so darn good at doing it, and this sermon will help us miss them even better. Or if you actually want to see a miracle, just do the opposite of everything I say. We're doing a sermon series on the Apostle Peter, and in the story we read today, this amazing thing happens called the Transfiguration, but Peter just kind of misses its significance. Jesus suddenly starts shining with the full glory of God, while two figures from the Old Testament, Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, show up and start talking to Jesus. This amazing event where the veil between heaven and earth gets very thin and heaven literally breaks in to this world. And there's all kinds of allusions here to to the book of Exodus where the glory of God descends in a cloud on the tabernacle, just like a cloud descends on Jesus here, showing, showing that God is dwelling fully in Jesus. This is an amazing event. But what's astonishing is how much Peter misses the moment. So, Let's look at what he does for a step-by-step process on how to miss a miracle. Step one, don't listen to Jesus. Okay, what's the first thing Peter does here? 
he starts talking, which for Peter is always dangerous, right? Always putting his foot in his mouth. He says, Lord, okay, good start, right? Lord, it is good for us to be here. Okay, kind of lame, right? Jesus is all glowy and two dead guys show up and start talking and all you can say is it's good to be here. Okay, whatever, right? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Eh, thanks for playing, Peter, but you blew it again. Right? And I'll get to the three shelters in a minute, but the real question is, why is Peter talking at all? Right? This amazing thing is happening, and he just starts blabbing. In fact, in Mark's version of the story, it says, he didn't know what to say, they were so frightened. Okay, good rule of thumb, if you don't know what to say, don't say it, Peter. Right? Now, we know Peter blew it by what comes next. I love this. The text says, while he was still speaking, <laughs> right, right, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, he got an audible voice from the heaven saying, shut up, Peter. Stop talking. And, the, and the, the, God the Father here uses the same words he used at Jesus' baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. But then he adds, listen to him. Showing that the fullness of God's truth is in Jesus. So a good way to miss the amazing things that God wants to do in our lives is to not listen to Jesus at all. So let me ask you this question. Who or what have you been listening to this week? Maybe it's the voice of your boss or maybe it's the voice of our culture that says you got to have this or that. Maybe it's a voice or tapes from the past, maybe parents or peers who say you're not this enough, you're not that enough, or whatever it is. Who or what have you been listening to this week? Because if you want to see the amazing things God is doing, we got to listen to Jesus. I just heard a story from my former church where a woman I know down there was talking to her two sons about the Easter story. When she got to the part about how Jesus was on trial before Pilate, her six-year-old son named Noah said, I don't think Pilate did the right thing. He should have stood up for Jesus. Man, if I'd have been there, I'd have, I'd have rushed in, I'd have grabbed Jesus, I'd have run real quick with him to the airplane, and I'd have gotten in, and I'd have taken off real quick. At which point his eight-year-old brother said, Noah, there were no planes back in Bible days. And Noah said, yeah, there were. Hello, Pilate, duh, weren't you listening? <laughs> That is a profound theological comment. Duh, weren't you listening? Right? We can see the miracles in our lives only if we listen to Jesus. And by listen, the Bible, you should know this. Whenever the Bible says listen, it never means just hear. Listen in the Bible, Old and New Testament, always means to do what you hear from God. So listen to Jesus, who says to us, I don't care what everyone else is saying about you. I don't care about those tapes from your past. I don't care what your boss just told you this week. I say to you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's the truth about you. Listen to Jesus, who through Scripture tells us to love our spouses as Christ loves the church. Rather than ask our culture's question, which is what we do in dating, and our culture's question is, are you the right person for me? Let me answer that for you. No. Nobody is. But if spouses love each other as Christ loves the church, amazing things begin to happen in marriages, almost miraculous things as we become the right people for each other. If you want to see a miracle, you got to listen to Jesus who says, give some of your money away, and then you will see the miraculous ways he provides. If you want to see amazing things in your life, you got to listen to Jesus who says, partner with me in my rescue mission to the world. And when we do that, God shows up in amazing ways. Through Scripture, 
prayer, worship. We need to be saturated in Jesus. Because, you know, as I've told you before, one of the frustrating things about preaching is that for a hundred or so waking hours a week, the culture just pounds its messages into our heads, right? Through media and all that stuff, right? A hundred or so waking hours a week, and, and then I only get 22 minutes and change a week to undo all the damage. And that's being generous, because truth be told, I don't think I have all of you for the full 22, all right? <laughs> I mean, as my preaching professor used to say, some people rise from a sermon greatly strengthened, and others awaken from it greatly refreshed. Plus, I just heard someone laugh really hard. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Plus, you know, I got all the messages from the culture too in my head, so that trips things up. If we want to see Jesus at work in our lives, we have to listen to him. Second way to miss a miracle, be busy with lots of good things. While Peter, when Peter wants to put up three shelters, that could refer to lots of stuff. Maybe it's a shrine of some kind, a monument. Maybe it's a reference to what was known as the Feast of Booths, where the Israelites lived in tents for seven days to remember their time in the wilderness. Whatever it is, clearly Peter thinks it's a good thing. Okay, but there's some problems with Peter's plan here. First of all, what's Jesus going to do with three shrines? I mean, it's impractical. I mean, Peter just has issues here. Okay, He's got an edifice complex. Come on. That was awesome. <laughs> the other problem here is that Peter doesn't, Peter, to Peter, it, he doesn't seem to distinguish between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. They're kind of all the same to him, right? But the point of the transfiguration is that Jesus surpasses Moses, Elijah, and every other religious figure. He's not one way to God. He's the way to God. He's not just another prophet who points to God. He is God. On top of that, notice Peter's language. Lord, if you wish, I will build you three shelters. Well, aren't we important? Right? What about James and John? They're there too. Right? How'd this become about Peter suddenly? I mean, you could just kind of see James and John. There he goes. It's so awkward. Can't take him anywhere. <laughs> but that's what happens when we get really busy. If we focus on us and Jesus becomes just one of the many, many things in our lives, not the thing, and then we walk around going, how come Jesus isn't more real? We're trying to be successful at school or at work or get more money or get that relationship we think is going to make us happy. And Jesus might do, be doing amazing things, but we miss it because we're busy with our own stuff. A woman I know picked her six-year-old son up from school, and the teacher said to her, you know, your son pushed a little girl down. So on the way home, she asked her son, well, what happened? And he said, she called me a dolphin, so I pushed her down. And the woman said, well, I don't care what she called you. you. You know, you don't push people down. He said, she called me a dolphin. So the woman kind of went into full-on lecture mode. You know, it doesn't matter what she called you. Jesus says to forgive people, on and on and on. Finally, he said, no, you don't understand. She called me a dolphin. She said you weren't my real parents. See, he's adopted. The girl meant adopted. Right? So suddenly the woman felt bad that she you know, had lectured him without really listening to him. Plus inside she started to think, well, who is that little brat? I'll take, you know, right? <laughs> take her out, right? So then she went, went on to talk about how adopted children are, are wanted children. They've been chosen just like Jesus wanted us to be part of his family. Turned into a great conversation. Now, was what she was telling him in her little lecture good? Absolutely it was good. <clears throat> but she was kind of off on her own agenda. And when she actually stopped and listened, she could see the ways that Jesus was breaking into that moment, offering an awesome moment to get closer to her son. 
If you want to miss a miracle, don't listen to Jesus. Be busy with lots of good things. Third, give God a lot of advice. (laughs) By wanting to build the three shelters, Peter is basically advising Jesus. Hey, Jesus, this transfiguration thing is great. Now, what you need to do is we need to build three little shrines here, maybe get some tourists coming. We can make money, Jesus. Awesome, right? We love to do that, don't we? Right? God, I know that you love me and have a wonderful plan for my life, and I think that plan should look like this, right? for we know the plans we have for us. But here's the thing. What if God, that is an allusion to a biblical... Anyway, what if God's plans are bigger? What if, God's plans, what if God wants to do amazing things, and we'll miss him if we go off on our plan or tell God to bless our plan? Right? And yeah, God's plan is sometimes harder, but bigger, richer, deeper, better. As I've said before, what's the difference between you and God? God never gets confused and thinks he's you, right? (laughs) The the position of God... Gary Brooks is making me crack up in this sermon. (laughs) Sorry, Gary. The position of God has been filled, okay? You need not apply. If you want to miss a miracle, don't listen to Jesus. Be busy with lots of good things. Give God a lot of advice. And finally, stay on the mountain and avoid pain. Because by wanting to build the three shelters, Peter here is basically trying to memorialize the experience, make it permanent. He wants to stay on the mountaintop, stay in the camp high, rather than go back down and deal with all the pain of life. But look how this story ends. It says, when they were coming down the mountain, because see, Jesus knew they had to come back down. Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So this story ends with Jesus coming down off the mountain, once again referring to his death and his resurrection. The mountaintop was good while it lasted, but he says, you know what, we got to go back down there and encounter all the brokenness of the world to heal it. And if you thought you saw something spectacular there, man, wait till you see what I can do with the pain in the world. Because you see, there's another mountain in Jesus' future. There's another mountain that he's got to go to, Mount Calvary. In fact, there are all kinds of parallels between this story and the crucifixion. They both happen on mountains. In this story, uh, story, Jesus is surrounded by Moses and Elijah at the crucifixion, surrounded by two thieves. In this story, Jesus' clothes glow at the crucifixion, clothes taken to humiliate him. In this story, Elijah is present at the crucifixion. The crowd thinks he calls out for Elijah. There's another mountain that Jesus is going to embrace. Because if we really want to see Jesus' ultimate miracles, if we want to see just how amazing the things are that he can do, we have to be willing to meet him in the pain of life. The cross we bear precedes the crown we wear. And you can't have a testimony unless you have a test. And if we avoid suffering either by trying to ignore it or anesthetize it with entertainment or addictions or material things or just by refusing to help other people who do suffer, if we avoid the cross, we will never see the power of the resurrection because the mountaintop experiences are great guys but God does his best work in graveyards I got an email thank you Presbyterian amen thank you I got an email a while back from a woman who I'll call Laura about how she's seen God's kingdom break through in her life through the difficulty of having a special needs child as well as some challenges in her family business this is what she wrote Before my daughter was born, I was consumed with keeping up appearances. And for a while, I couldn't see any way that any good could come out of raising a special needs child. A counselor I knew kept talking about how my child was a blessing and how God was going to be revealed to those around me through my child. I remember telling him in no uncertain terms what I thought of his theory. 
I couldn't see how a 14-year-old who screamed obscenities and threw things in the store because she couldn't have a certain toy could ever bring people closer to God. I mean, what was I supposed to tell people who saw us in the store? Hi, by the way, we're Christians. Don't you want to be just like us? Took a long time, but God slowly showed me how he was working through my daughter and showing me the ways that I needed to grow. It was also about how I was going to be stretched outside my comfort zone to do things like start a support group here at Bell Prez for other parents of special needs children so that they could rant and rave at me like I'd done with my counselor. I had no idea how this group was going to work. I just stepped out in faith. This group is a place where we wrap our arms around the parents of these kids and the kids themselves in loving support while we celebrate these children as God's gifts just as they are, even if God chooses not to heal them. Letting go of the need to fix the situation has been particularly hard for me. See, in the special needs culture, it's often tempting to do battle with schools or doctors because they're not doing enough to help. But God has taught me to let him do the battling for us. And through every circumstance my family has faced, including loss of income, God stepped in and provided for all our needs. Well, she then goes on to talk about how there's this one point in their lives where they really needed some more money, but she couldn't work outside the home because of her daughter's disability. But that God led her to a family that needed respite care work, and they allowed her to bring her daughter with her when she did the respite care work. Well, then, a little while later, a pipe broke in their house, flooded their basement so badly they needed just tons of repair work. At the same time, Laura's sister-in-law, who's also developmentally disabled, started to need round-the-clock care. So Laura and her husband figured since they had to re do kind of remodel anyway, they might as well just build an addition to their home, open up a respite care facility for her sister-in-law, as well as the family she was working for. She said, God kept me at peace, even when cost overruns made me wonder how we we're going to pay for it. But God provided as I knew he would. We built the addition, added three new residents, plus a live-in caregiver to our home. And now my daughter, my sister-in-law, and the young lady for whom I had once provided respite all live with us and began helping with our family business. Well, then still a little while later, Laura and her husband faced one more challenge. Their family business was computer classes, but they discovered that another business nearby was offering the same classes for free, eating into their business. Laura said at first she panicked, but then she remembered that years ago when we did the sermon series on surrender, that at the end when we called for people to make a commitment, she had decided to surrender her business to God, but then promptly forgot that she'd done that. But now with this new problem, she, she started to remember that, and so she started to pray. And she said, from there, God connected the dots for me. He showed me, he reminded me of how I'd started the support group. He showed me how a broken pipe and a flooded basement had prompted me to act on the dream he'd given me of building a place for people with disabilities to live with us. He showed, us how our, he showed me how our money problems had led me to get a job with, as a respite worker, which resulted in us connecting with a lovely young lady who now also lives with us. And he reminded me of how I had made a commitment to surrender my business to him. And so I asked God what he wanted to do about the, this new problem. So he nudged us to rethink the classes we taught. I felt a push to design a curriculum that emphasized personal growth more and computer skills less. I also felt that God was calling us to fully embrace the true nature of our family-based uh, company, which not only worked with computers, but also employed people with disabilities, namely the women who lived with us. So I designed classes where the young women who live with us help facilitate and share not only their experience with computers, but also their lives. Along the way, I've realized that I've just worked way too hard getting my life just right. 
So I've been learning to fast from all the extra things that are not central to what God's calling me to, to have more time with Him. I have no idea if our business will be profitable or not. But I know I'm following God's call, and I'm, I'm meeting the commitment I made years ago to surrender it all to Him. Now for once, I finally feel like the business aligns with God's calling, and my life as a whole is a lot less fragmented. Now Laura's life has been far from easy. But through the challenges of a special needs child, the ups and downs of life and business, she is learning to listen to Jesus, to let go of some good things, to have more time with God, family, and friends, to stop giving God advice and follow his plan instead. And she has seen, even in the pain of having a special needs child, God break through and work in some of the painful places of her life. She has not missed the ways that God is doing amazing things in her life in spite of it all. And she has seen God work in how he's provided and guided and used her to help a whole lot of people. So how about you? Does God seem absent to you? Do you wonder where he is, why he's not doing more? Maybe he's doing something or wants to do something amazing, but you're missing it. So this week, will you turn to him? Will you ask him to show you what he's doing Stop giving him advice, start listening to him, and know that even in the valleys, even in the difficult places, not just on the mountaintops, he can do his best work. I started with a baseball story, so I'll close with this story, baseball. I remember a couple summers ago being at a Mariners game, and they were losing, so I went up to get some more food. And as I was standing there in line to get food, I started to hear all this cheering. Oh, ah, wow, right? (coughs) Turned out, It was a triple home run, and now they were ahead, and I'd missed it because I wanted a hot dog, right? I hate that when that happens. That happens to me a lot, right? It's like, oh, what's going on? Life is sort of like that. I think God is doing amazing things, things that will make you cheer, but we miss it because we're off doing who knows what. So this week, will you pray, Lord, help me see the amazing things you're doing in my life and in my world. Who knows? You may just find yourself saying, whoa. Wow, yeah, thank you, God. So, Lord, do just that. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us to see the ways that you are at work, the amazing things you are doing, and we'll give you the glory. In your name, amen.